Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Today, I'm going to be continuing this series, Valleys. And I'm, I'm excited to do it, not because we're excited to go through valleys. See, valleys are these things that, are, that happen all the time where we go through those seasons that are just difficult. There are those moments that are lower than the rest of the moments, the ones that make us feel discouragement and pain and frustration. But the reason I'm excited to talk about it is because Jesus has shown us how to navigate that. See, valleys are inevitable. There's something that all of us will go through, and so it's not a matter of if, it's how. How do you walk through those valleys? And today, I hope to encourage you along that journey. You know, I can think back to a particular valley that I experienced. It was a few years ago, and um, I'm not incredibly, I'm not much of a crier. I try and make it happen during movies because I feel bad I'm not crying. Um, My wife will tell you that. Um, But I'm a very emotional guy. I'm emotional, especially when I play basketball or something like that. But, um, you know, I've just never been much of a cry, but I remember there was a specific moment in my life where um, I had just felt a sense of betrayal in a relationship, and uh, there was something that was going on that was causing me to feel discouragement, even in uh, my calling and my purpose, and it kind of made me question whether I was wasting my life in a way. And so I remember I just kind of went into my office, and I locked the door, and I, I broke down on my knees, and I just began to cry. And I just began to feel the pain of of wondering, God, you know, why would this happen to me? You know, why me? And that question sometimes can be the pervasive question when we're in the midst of a valley, can it? It's that question, why? And although it's only three letters and one syllable, I believe there's a million different ways that that question can frustrate us. See, because you might be going through something and you say, why is this happening to me? Why am I the one that has to come from this broken family or has to be a part or had to miss out on this figure in my life? Why am I the one with this diagnosis? Why am I the one that has to fight this battle when it seems like nobody else has to fight it? Why am I the one that lost my job or lost that opportunity or the door was closed for me? Why? And why is this question that is a frustrating question, and we all wrestle with it. In fact, some of you have wrestled with this question to the point that it has been a roadblock between you and God. In fact, if you were here today and you said, you know, I'm not much of a follower of Jesus, I don't really know what I believe about that, part of the reason you might say that is because you've had these experiences in your life And these experiences have kept you from really believing that there could be this God, or if there was a God, why would he let this happen? Maybe you're a follower of Christ, and you could say, you know what, I've still gone through some stuff. And I've been waiting 20, 30 years sometimes, and I've yet to really discover the good answer. Every answer I hear, it kind of sounds canned. It doesn't really satisfy that answer, that question I've been asking in my soul. That's the frustrating part about why, is that you may not always get an answer. You may go to the grave not knowing why. And so what we do is we face this pain, and sometimes we try and avoid the pain. We try and sidestep the pain. Sometimes we try and numb the pain. We try and make it so we can't feel it. And here's the unfortunate problem with that, is that every time we try and avoid pain, every time we we try and numb pain, it actually increases the pain in our life. It takes the disease, it takes the pain deeper. It makes the valley even lower. 
And so all of us, we have to wrestle with this question. We have to figure out why me. And today, I don't want to bring you the answer to why. In fact, I don't think I could accurately give you the answer to the question why. But what I hope to give you is an encouragement that in the midst of those unanswered questions, that you have a God with you in the valley. And that's actually better news for you than if I were able to give you the why, if I were able to give you the answer. And so today what I want to do is I want to begin to look at the life of Jesus. And I don't want to look at something just that Jesus taught, although his teachings are amazing. I actually want to look at something that Jesus exemplified something that Jesus lived, and in through that, we can be taught by his life. See, because what we have to realize is that when Jesus was in his moments of pain, he actually showed us a pathway. He showed us a pathway to peace. He showed us a pathway to purpose. He showed us how to take what the pain we were feeling and to make it bigger than ourselves, to, to trust God in a way that I think all of us can learn from. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a moment in Jesus' life that he was feeling this gut-wrenching turmoil. You know, I can think back uh, a couple days ago, my wife and I were talking to our neighbor, and she was telling us about her grandson who's in third grade. He just started school a couple weeks ago, and she's like, yeah, he's already behind. And I was like, how do you get behind in third grade? You know, like you don't even do anything. Um, Sorry, third graders. Uh, And and so um, she's like, well, He's got this problem with homework, you know. Every time the teacher gives him the sheet of paper for homework, he crumples it up and throws it in his desk. And then when we get home, he's like, I forgot. And uh, I was like, oh, that's a systems problem. Okay, we gotta, we gotta fix the system there, you know. But it, it kind of reminded me of a certain time in my life. In fact, uh, I actually had this approach to life where I actually had a policy. It was a no homework policy. And uh, in middle school, I implemented this policy. And kids, <laughs> don't try this one at home, okay? I promise, it's a bad idea. Um, But I was very unwavering in my approach. I was resolute in this idea that I was not going to do homework. And it wasn't because I wasn't assigned homework. It was because I didn't want to do it. And uh, now when I look back, the pros and cons, the pros were very minimal. I got a little bit more time to watch TV. got a little bit more time on Xbox. But the cons was like this huge list. I got in trouble with my parents. I had terrible grades. I had to resurrect. I got kicked out of some classes I was in. And... um, One of my least favorite cons uh, was the fact that right when I was going into the class, I would always feel this pit in my stomach knowing that I wasn't going to be able to turn in the assignment. I'd have to tell my teacher that. Now, some of you are really good sinners, so you knew how to avoid the guilt and shame from that. I somehow never really got past that guilty feeling, and so um, I was only a halfway good sinner. And so... um, So what I I would do is I I would try and avoid that. I remember particularly one moment uh, in seventh grade, I had this big project due. I was supposed to read this book, do a book report on it, kind of make this project. And of course, I did not think about it or do it at all. And so the day of, I knew this class was happening after lunch. And so after lunch, I was starting to try and think of my different options. And so what I decided to do was like, I'm going to pretend I'm sick. And don't judge me because you've probably done it too, okay? And uh, I'm going to pretend I'm sick. I'm going to go to the office, and I'm going to just tell them I can't go, you know, and I'm going to have my parents pick me up. So I go to the office. They, they lead me back to this dark room where there's this cot that thousands of diseased children have, like, laid on for years and decades. And, you know, I'm sure there's lice in the pillow. And I'm just laying there, and I'm, I'm just saying, okay, let me just count down until my parents get here. I don't have a plan for tomorrow, but I'm not really worried about that. And then all of a sudden... In the distance, I can kind of hear one of my classmates come into the office, and she's been sent there by the teacher. And 
she asked, hey, my teacher wants to know if Ryan has his project. And um, I wasn't sick in my stomach before that moment, but I was definitely feeling it at that point. And, uh, and so, of course, I had to tell them that, no, I, I didn't have the project. And what made it so terrible is that if I would have just gone to class, I probably wouldn't have had a big deal made about it. But now, in front of the whole class, she was going to tell my teacher that I didn't have this project. And, you know, in that moment, I was feeling this pit in the bottom of my stomach. There was this inner turmoil going on inside of me. And Jesus actually faced a moment much more intense, justifiably so, than this, but it's a moment of inner turmoil. It's a moment of inner struggle. And you may not know this, but Jesus was human, that he did face some of the same things that we face. But you know, if you're not familiar with Jesus, if you're not really considering yourself a Christian, you've got to know this. Jesus is actually the centerpiece of our faith here. Jesus not only claimed to be a good teacher, he didn't just teach morality. Jesus actually claimed some pretty crazy things. Jesus claimed that he was God. And Jesus claimed that he was God, and one of the ways that he was going to prove it was that he was going to predict his own death, and that's pretty impressive, but Jesus also predicted his resurrection from the dead. Let me just tell you, if you pull that one off, you might get a religion started after you. And so Jesus, not only did he predict these things, but he actually pulled it off. And the reason we're sitting here today is because there are over 500 people who met with the person that they saw crucified, that they saw dead, and they saw him alive. And part of why we're here today is because those people were so convinced that they saw Jesus. And Jesus, on the front end of that dying and raising again from the dead, knew that he was going to have to go through that death. He knew that he was going to have to go through that valley. It was that moment that he was not looking forward to. So we're going to pick this up in Matthew chapter 26. And this is the story of Jesus in Gethsemane. Starting in verse 36, it says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go there to pray. Now, we're going to come back to the olive grove, but just keep that in your mind for a minute. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus is feeling this moment. This is intense. In fact, Jesus suffered from something called hematidrosis, and we can read about this in the Gospel of Luke, but Jesus was in such duress, such distress, that he actually began to sweat blood. And this is something very rarely seen, but the one place we do see it somewhat commonly is when prisoners are on death row. See, because they know what's ahead. They know that something is coming and they're not looking forward to it. And Jesus is feeling this. Please understand, this is God who created the universe and he is feeling this. He's feeling this anguish, this distress. It goes on to say, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Jesus asks God a question I think all of us have asked God in the midst of a valley. It's, God, is there any way I can avoid this? Is there any way I can get out of this? Can you just pick me up and and put me down and fast forward this and All of us have been there, and yet we all know that you can't always get out of a valley. There are some valleys that we've caused for ourselves, and we've got to walk through them. There's some valleys that 
just happen to us for no fault of our own, and we have to be able to walk through them. But understand, that's a common human emotion to say, God, would you please get me out of this? But then Jesus, at the end of that question, he begins to say one more thing, and it's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement, not only for him in that moment, but for us today. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Maybe you remember the translation, thy will be done. It's incredible that in his moment of pain, it wasn't my, it wasn't why, but it was thy. Jesus wasn't concerned just with his own comfort, just what made him feel good. Jesus realized that there was something bigger, that there was something even more important. In fact, that this moment was actually important for just more than this moment, that this moment was a part of a bigger story, that this part, moment was a part of God's plan, part of God's purpose. And one thing that we have to begin to do when we are in the midst of the valley is that we have to begin to realize that our valley is not the only chapter in this story. That this is a part of something bigger. And even if we cause this, even if we're the ones that brought this valley upon ourselves, that God can actually use it for something bigger than ourselves. I love this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. She's a missionary and she was the wife of Jim Elliot who died Um, by the hands of the people that they were in Ecuador trying to reach with the gospel. And this is what she said. She said, the will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. And I just, I love that thought that when we can look at our valley in the context of a bigger picture, we realize that God is doing something more in this moment than just applies to this moment. And this is difficult because pain is immediate. Pain is urgent, and it stays right up here. It stays right close to us, and it's the most urgent thing in our lives. But we have to be able to take a step back and say, God, I'm not going to just look at the here and now. I'm going to look to the then and there. I I love what Gracie Allen, she was a comedian in the 1930s, I thought she said such a profound statement. She said, never place a period where God has placed a comma. Because I look at Jesus' situation, and I think that's pretty dire. Jesus is going to die on a cross, and a lot of us would have just put the period there. But I am so thankful that there was a comma. I'm so thankful that the sentence didn't end there, but that instead it says that Jesus was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, he not only conquered death for himself, he conquered death for you and I. And I just wonder if some of us have a grammatical issue in our lives. We just have an issue where we're putting a period and God's saying, no, this story is not done yet. You need to put a comma You need to recognize that I'm not done here, that I'm not stopped until the day you've clicked, you know, until your time is up. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep turning this around for my purpose and for my glory. It's such a profound thing, but it's such a difficult thing to realize in the moment that we are never to put a period where God has put a comma. As we continue reading, it says, Then he returned to the disciples, and he found them asleep. Isn't it interesting that the people that were closest to Jesus, the one he trusted the most, 
that in the midst of his greatest horror, that they were asleep. And I can promise you this, that there are going to be times when you're in the midst of pain, when you're in the midst of a valley, that you're going to feel like the people closest to you just don't get it. They just don't understand what you're going through. And if that's you, I want you to hang on to that for just a second. I'm gonna come back to you, I wanna address you. I, I think that there's actually a greater perspective that we can take in that moment. But please understand that even Jesus went through that. The people closest to him, they, they were asleep. And he was about to do something that was gonna cost him everything. He says, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watching, pray, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Do you realize the humility in that statement? Jesus, the, the one who created everything, God himself, he was willing to submit to something. That's pretty powerful. And part of our journey in the valleys is being willing to submit to the Father and just saying, God, my life is not my own. Use it as you please. Do what you want. You have my yes. Now, forever. And I love that Jesus modeled this for us. He taught us this in the most powerful way you could through his life. You know what? Jesus was crushed, but I love this, that Jesus was crushed so that we could conquer. See, Jesus, he was crushed. He was taken down. He was in anguish. He was in distress, but he did it for something more than just himself. He did it for you and I. In fact, I would say it this way, that Jesus went through hell on earth so that you could have heaven for eternity. Actually, I would go a step further. I think Jesus went through hell on earth so that you could have heaven on earth. <laughs> Jesus told us to pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But in even a greater way, Jesus actually allows us to have access to heaven, which is God's very presence right here and right now. When Jesus died, he gave us access to something that was so incredible. It is stronger than your valleys. It is greater than your pain. Hebrews chapter four says this, it says, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That is really good news. Because here's what that means, is that no matter how you're feeling today, no matter what you just got news of this week, no matter what's going on in your life, that you have access to the living God, the God who is almighty, who has all the power in the universe. And he is there not only with mercy, but with strength and grace for exactly what you need, exactly when you need it the most. And so my question is, have you gone to this God of grace for everything you need, for the problems you're facing right now? I can remember as I was in my office on my knees, just in tears, I remember that the Holy Spirit was just so present. In fact, it was one of those moments where you can just feel God. And I remember he began to show me this story of Jesus, how Jesus said yes to the will of God for his life, even when it wasn't comfortable. 
And here's what I, I've learned now since that time. I've learned that God, in that moment of my greatest pain, was trying to build in me a, a strength for not only my character, but he was beginning to build a strength in me that could actually be used for the good of someone else. And we have to remember that in the moment of our greatest pain, that God can use it to actually serve others, that God can use it for a purpose. Kind of takes me back to the olive grove, and Jesus was in a place called Gethsemane, and I know olives are kind of a polarizing food. Some of you love olives, and some of you don't even want to look at this, okay? My wife and I, every time we go to a restaurant that puts olives on the salad, She'll just pick off all the olives, all of the olives, <laughs> good one, and she'll put it on my plate. And you know, olives are good. Um, olives can be used in a few different ways. You know, you can put them on pizza, you can put them in salads, you can put them maybe in bread if you're really skilled, you know, maybe some nachos. Olives have some different applications for sure, but see, olives are actually responsible for creating one of the very multifunctional things that we have. In fact, it's something that's been used uh, for centuries called olive oil. And olive oil is great. You know, olive oil, uh, it, it comes out and it's, it's nice and smooth. And you can use olive oil in, in your cooking. You can use it in your salads. You can use it in, of course, food type of items. But olive oil actually has some other purposes that they've been using for centuries. In, in fact, it's actually a part of a beautification thing that they've been using for millennia. Olives, olive oil can actually be used for your skin to help you, to treat you. It can help you topically. It can, uh, it can help you clean things in your house. You didn't know. It can help clean your engine. You didn't know that one either. <laughs> See, it's interesting because olive oil is one of the most practically used things, it's one of the most helpful things that we have. It, it's very, so multifunctional. Olives, a little less so. But you know, the process between getting the olives to the olive oil is a, is a difficult process. See, what they begin to do with the olives is they begin to gather them up and they begin to crush them. And as they begin to crush them, they begin to press them, and they start to pour some water in, and they start to stir it around, and then they start to crush it some more, and stir it around, and crush it, and crush it, and crush it, and stir, and stir, and stir, and crush, and crush, and crush, until something that has maybe five to ten uses can become something that has literally over a hundred uses. Check it out for yourself. Here's what I think is so crazy is that sometimes the difference between us being a five to ten and being a hundred to hundred and fifty is just the process of crushing. And God doesn't always cause the crushing in our lives, but God will sure use it. In fact, God said that I will cause everything in your life to work for the good of those who love me and called according to my purpose. That God may not have caused your valley, but God will definitely use your valley to impact someone else. God wants to increase your strength. God wants to build your character. God wants to help you serve others. God wants to be able to come into your life, use your pain for his purpose. And I see this so consistently. I see this in the leaders that volunteer in Paramount. I see the people who walk with a little bit of a spiritual limp, <laughs> the ones who have taken a shot or two, the ones that got a little bit of a story. Those are the ones that have the biggest heart for other people because they recognize the pain that people go through and yet they decide, you know what? I'm gonna give my life for someone else because of my story. I think my story can help their story. And here is what I would say to you is that you have to give me your story. 
You have to show me what's happened in your life in order for me to be the person I'm called to be. And I have to do the same for you. And that's why here at BC, connect groups are not just a nice thing, they are a necessary thing. Because we need each other. We need each other's experience. We need each other's point of views. We need each other's perspective. We need each other's encouragement. We need each other's support. And if you are in the middle of a valley, man, that is oftentimes too late to start getting what you need. You need to start getting proactive about it and saying, who are the people in my life who are that support system that can tell me when they see something, that can tell me when I'm heading in the wrong direction, that can tell me that I'm heading in the right direction, I just need to stay at it. Who are those people in your life? If you've never really had that group of people, you need to be in a connect group. You need to be involved with people that can speak into your life, that can encourage you. And I promise you this, that if you're one of those people that feels like no one understands what I'm going through, that you may not have anyone that understands what's going, what you're going through in your family, but you definitely have someone in this church who does. There is definitely someone here that understands the things you're going through and can help you walk through it in a way that maybe is even more in wisdom than what you would have ever done before. We need each other. We're better together. It's part of who we are at Believer's Church is that we just really believe that the best you is a you that is connected to other people. So we go to the throne of grace, but then we also give our lives to others. I'm just willing to believe that some of you need to recognize today that, hey, my story's not over, that God can begin to use this to not only impact my life, but to impact someone else's. Let's go ahead and pray. God, today we don't come to you thankful for our valley, but today we come to you thankful that you are in our valley with us, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that you'll strengthen us with grace, with strength, and with mercy. You Give us everything we need exactly when we need. I pray that those who are discouraged, those who are in pain, those who are facing failure, those who are facing every type of valley under the sun. I'm praying that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to them individually right now. That you would show them how loved they are by you. God, give them perspective that goes above their own. As we stay in an attitude of prayer, I, I want to offer an invitation. You know, Jesus, we talked about him a little bit earlier, but Jesus went through hell on earth, literally. He was rejected by God, who he had perfect unity with, because he wore the sins of all mankind on him. Jesus, on that cross, took every sin that you've ever committed. He took every mistake you've ever made, every way that you've exalted yourself above God, everything that you've done that's hurt someone else. He took all of that on the cross. And so because Jesus took that on the cross, and he died for our sins, we know that when he rose to life again, that we could be raised to life again as well. And so Jesus gave us this invitation into life and life eternal with him, into a relationship with him. And today, I want to give that. It's just an invitation and only that. Jesus would never force anything on anyone. But I want to ask you, have you ever come into a relationship with Jesus? Have you ever had your sins forgiven have you ever made Jesus the Lord of your life? See, Jesus said it's really simple, actually. Um, I want you to give me your life. I want all of it. But if you give me your life, I'll give you true life. 
And those things that you've been pursuing, those satisfactions you hope to find in every other thing, I promise you'll find them in me. I'll not only give you life here and now, but for eternity. And so if you say, you know what, I, I think I've grown up in church, I've been around church, but I've never really made it personal with Jesus where I've placed my faith in him and made him the Lord of my life, then I just want to give you an opportunity to do this. In fact, we had some people who did it last night. I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer that hundreds in here have prayed before. But it's a powerful prayer that relays the message of our heart, which says, God, forgive me of my sins. Become my Lord. Become my Savior. We're going to pray together. No one's going to pray alone. So church, would you help me pray? Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. But this morning, I make a decision, a commitment to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.